today's uh, Bible reading. Uh, we have two readings today. The first one is from Joshua, chapter 2, and the second is from the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. Uh, let's start with Joshua, chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman have taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be, to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers have gone out. Before the men laid down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord had given you the land, that the fear of you have fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and when you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, devoted to destruction. And as soon as we have heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, Our life for yours, even to the death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall, and she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you will tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have led us down. 
and you will gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the door of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone, anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The second reading is from the book of James, chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the thing needed for the body, what good is that? So, also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, what faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham your father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and I was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. Well, good morning, everyone, and a big warm welcome again to SLE Church's live stream for this morning. Uh, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors of the church, along with Ben, who's currently uh, traveling back from Sydney soon. Uh, they managed to head down the, with the borders opened, 
uh, and uh, enjoyed the celebration of Faith's mother's uh, birthday uh, over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, pray for their safe travel on the way back out. Uh, don't forget that there's Q&A after this session, uh, and so feel free to pop your uh, questions in the comments, YouTube comments. I believe they're live now. They are working? Excellent. Uh, so uh, to feel free to do that on anything we've looked at today, last week in the Book of Joshua, uh, any questions that you might have at all. We'll uh, deal with them after the service is finished. Let me pray to begin and ask God to bless us as we now look at this word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in these pages from your old word, you show us the way of your grace. You teach us how we should respond. And we ask that you would implant within us the desire to follow you and empower each step of obedience. Help us, Father, to do this so that you would secure within us our joy in Christ forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could go back in time and tell yourself how you should prepare for the future, what would you say? YouTuber Julie Nolke put together a little skit online a few months ago that went viral. It's now got about 10 million views on YouTube. A skit in which she went back in time to her past self to explain the current pandemic. She only went back to January 2020. And as all the funny bits that you would expect, do a Costco run real quick. Take your money out of the stock market and put it into Zoom. Dose up on vitamins and get your health checked out quickly. And it's, it's really funny. It's a great funny skit. And uh, it's funny because if you could go back in time to your past self, we'd want them to know everything about the near future and act upon it. If I could give you certainty about the future, if I could tell you exactly what was going to happen, I would expect you to act on it today. Now, minus the time travel, this idea of acting today on the certainty of tomorrow is what drives Joshua chapter 2. In this chapter, we meet one of the most important characters in this book, Rahab. And what she does and why she does it is an example not only to Israel, but also to Christians to this very day. Now, the structure of this chapter is quite deliberate. If you've downloaded the outline of the sermon in the bulletin, you'll notice that there is kind of a five-point structure, and it actually mirrors itself. Each indented section mirrors the other, and all with the purpose of highlighting that middle section, point number three. So you'll notice in the outline, if you have it there, that we're going to skip through points one, two, four, and five relatively quickly and spend a bit more time on point number three. See, if you were writing the story of Joshua, it would actually make logical sense to skip from verse 7, end of verse 7, to down to verse 15. But the narrator pauses the action in our story to draw attention to the speech made by Rahab in the middle. The, the narrator is highlighting in big, bright lights that this is the most important part of today's story. And when you consider that if you took Rahab's story out of Joshua, the book would generally make sense. It would still make sense. So the fact that this story is actually here highlights something very important. What she has to say about Yahweh is necessary for us to hear. But let's start at the beginning of the chapter and the beginning of the story. 
Uh, so often when we start and we read uh, stories in the Old Testament and Old Testament narratives, there are usually quite a lot of details at the beginning of the story that we just sometimes as readers pass over very quickly. In the first sentence, however, I want you to notice two particular details that actually flash some warning signs that all is not well. You see, in the first sentence, the very first sentence, we read that Joshua is sending spies. The location from which he sends them is the first warning sign to the reader, Shittim. Shittim was previously the site of idolatry and adultery in the book of Numbers. That's not a great location. And the fact that Joshua is sending spies into the land is also a bit alarming. Because remember the last time that that happened, the last time that spies were sent into the land, the outcome was a disaster. Joshua knew this because he was one of the spies. You go back to Numbers 13 and 14, and when spies were sent into the land, they came back afraid. Twelve of them went in, ten of them came back, or uh, all twelve came back, but ten of them were so fearful of the big people in the land that they caused fear to ripple amongst the people who then rebelled against God, which caused God to judge the whole nation to wander the wilderness for 40 years. See, this opening sentence contains some very shaky echoes of the past, a dodgy location and a dodgy action. Think of it this way. Imagine it this way. Imagine if a nuclear reactor was rebuilt on the site of Chernobyl. And then the president of the Ukraine came out and ordered a test of one of its reactor cores. Last time that happened, it didn't go well. What are you doing? And the spies themselves don't seem very good at their jobs. In fact, they seem pretty shoddy, hence the title of this sermon. Perhaps the worst spies in history. Look at where they end up in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, second half. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now, the language of their arrival is actually a bit vague, a bit ambiguous. Were they there for the obvious lustful reasons, or did they just happen to arrive there? Now, the narrator is actually quite cautious to not make it explicit. Right? They're not there for, you know, dodgy reasons, but you still have to wonder how they ended up there so quickly. With, with the way that this is worded, I think we are meant to read this and think, yeah, this is a little bit dodgy. I do think that these guys are out of their depth. Think about it. These guys have probably spent 40 years in the wilderness. They've never seen a big city. So you can imagine the two of them walking around this big city wide-eyed, you know, not realizing that everyone noticing them. And the first place that they end up is a prostitute's house. These spies are a bit shoddy. And I think you can also see that shoddiness from verse 2 onwards. Now, I don't know much about the world of espionage. I've read spy thrillers, and one of my favorite authors, uh, his main character is a counter-terrorist operative who usually works covertly in the Middle East. So if my fiction reading has taught me anything, I think that there are four basic rules for being a spy. Number one, you've got to keep a secret identity. You've got to make sure that no one knows who you are. Number two, you've got to have your secret plan, so make sure that your plans are not revealed. Number three, you've got to have a secret location, so you've got to make sure that your whereabouts remain a mystery. And number four, you have, a, you have to have a planned escape route. 
you've got to make sure that you know how to get out of the place that you're in. When you look at verse 2, it's apparent that the spies in Joshua that Joshua has sent, the two spies that Joshua have sent, have broken all four rules. Their identity, number one, their identity is immediately revealed. Have a look at verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight. Number two, their plans are already known. Verse two again, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Number three, everyone seems to know where they are. Verse three, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men, bring out the men who came to you, who entered your house. And by the end of verse 7, the gates, the city gates are shut and they are trapped inside the walled city of Jericho with no escape plan. Could these guys be the worst spies ever? Well, they should definitely be up there for your consideration. But even though Joshua 2 begins with the bungling of these spies, the main character in this story isn't actually them. The main character is the main character. It's actually Rahab the woman who has actually already now been mentioned twice in this story. She speaks for the first time in verse 4 to 5, and she lies to the soldiers looking uh, for the spy. She gives them the old switcheroo. They've gone that way, so you, you go that way too, when actually they're up in her roof hiding. And she also plays it, I think, pretty smart, playing on their fear that the spies are escaping. So when you look at the end of verse 5, she says to them, pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So if these soldiers who are already afraid that they've lost these spies and, and, and uh, are behind them, then they may not have been smart enough to actually search her premises and just take her word for it. So off they run, headed off towards the Jordan, hoping to uh, cut them off before they get there. And as soon as they leave the city gates, they are shut. Rahab's lies give cover and protection for the spies. Now, before we move on, let's actually deal with this lie. During the week, I asked a question on Facebook about this passage. What's a, what's a question or something you've thought about this passage uh, the most? And the issue of Rahab's lie came up the most. First, this passage is a good reminder that narrative story functions first to describe what is happening rather than prescribe what should happen. So another way of saying that is that it, the story is first telling us a story, not necessarily telling us what we should do as well. So take care of any teaching that builds its principles primarily on stories in the Old Testament. Secondly, and we'll touch on this again at the end, but when the New Testament commends Rahab, it does so for her faith in helping the spies and sending them in the right direction. The New Testament is silent on her lie. John Calvin says this of Rahab's act. He says, Rahab's act is not devoid of praise of virtue, although it is not spotlessly pure. He's saying she did the right thing in hiding and protecting the spies, though how she did it wasn't exactly perfect. So when it comes to the lie, as the reader, it's better to not get too caught up with it. It happened. It wasn't perfect. And there are multiple places in the Old Testament and the New Testament that condemn lying. So do not look to Rahab as an example that lying is okay. 
Instead, look to Rahab as an example of how to respond in faith. Don't get caught up in the lie that she speaks. Pay attention to the truth that she speaks. When we come to verses 8 to 14, we come to the heart of the passage. But as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a bit of an odd middle section. You see, so far in this story, it's been mostly action, 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 action. And if you skip from verse 7 down to 15, the story would be mostly action. But the narrator has purposely paused the action and given us a whole bunch of dialogue because we're being told this is the really important stuff. So Rahab heads up the roof where she is hidden spies. And in verse 9, she begins by rehearsing everything that she's heard so far. How God has given the land to Israel. How even Jericho is filled with fear and dread at Israel. And how even the inhabitants of Canaan are melting away in fear of Israel. In verse 10, she recounts the crossing of the Red Sea and how Israel trampled over the two Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. Remember, Sihon and Og, if you remember in Deuteronomy, are actually two very tall giants. How did Rahab come to know all of this? The way she describes it, it sounds like most people were aware of it. I mean, the gossip channels in the ancient world may not have been as fast uh, as they are today. There was no Facebook after all but it was just as active. But given that Rahab was a prostitute, it's also not hard to imagine soldiers visiting her, whispering quietly about what they had seen or heard, what they were growing increasingly afraid of. And fear is the big thing that is running through this section. Fear has gripped the whole land. Have a look at verse 11 again. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. We know a little bit of what it's like to live in anxious times. The Queensland state border reopened again on Friday, but we made sure that no Victorians could make it across. We're afraid of them. Their COVID-19 numbers have jumped dramatically. But that fear pales to the anxiety that is being felt by the Canaanites. Their hearts were melting like hot candle wax. And for Jericho, even huddled behind their big walls, the people were shaking in terror. And what were they fearing? Look again at verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The people are afraid because they know that Yahweh is with Israel. Notice how Rahab uses Yahweh's name. The first mention from anyone of Yahweh is from Rahab's lips. It's there in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 11, and verse 12. That is astonishing. And notice how Rahab has said that Yahweh is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Right? That phrase, God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, has actually been used three times prior to this in the Bible. Once in the Ten Commandments and two more times on the lips of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. 
So it is astonishing that it is now being found on the lips of a pagan Gentile. Remember, she was a pagan Gentile from other parts of the Old Testament. We know that Canaanites had plenty of gods for everything. The God of the trees, the God of the oceans, the God of the sky. But for Rahab to use God's personal and covenant name Yahweh, the name he personally gave to Israel, means that she is now embracing Yahweh for herself. When she says that Yahweh is God of the heavens above and the earth beneath, she is saying that God, Yahweh is God over all, that he is the one true God to be worshipped. He is not another God to be inserted into their religious museum, sitting right next to Baal and Asherah. When she says Yahweh is God over all, she is saying that none of these other gods are true. Fear is an incredibly powerful emotion. In moments of intense fear, there is usually two responses. You, you may have heard it the, described as the fight or flight uh, response. But when it comes to God, you cannot do that. You, if you fight against him, you will lose. And if you try to flee from him, well, where can you go where he cannot find you? Talk to Jonah. He went to the furthest end that he could think of, but yet God was still there. Fear has gripped the people of Jericho. They may be fleeing behind their walls, ready to fight against God, but Rahab has chosen to do something else. A third F option. She doesn't fight God. She doesn't flee from God. She finds refuge in him. She has faith in him. See, when we read her words in verses 9 to 11, we cannot escape the fact that she's not just merely fearing for herself and her family. She's not just trying to save her own skin. She has now acknowledged true allegiance and worship to Yahweh. So in response, she pleads with the spies in verses 12 to 13, please remember me. Please deal kindly with me as I have with you. Please save me and my family from death. And then in verse 14, the men agree and they promise on their lives to save her. Now, this agreement with her is actually also probably a little bit dodgy as well. Moses has reminded the people in Deuteronomy 7 and also back in Leviticus and uh, in Exodus not to make, do not make any covenants or agreements with those in the land. So again, the spies doing what the law forbids, chalk that up again to the shoddiness of them. But they make the agreement, and they, and they are then let down by a rope. We find out in verse 15 that Rahab's house is built into the city wall. Uh, Jericho was famous for having this massive wall protecting its position, uh, and the wall that ran right around the perimeter of the city. This wall was blocked, blocked off the outside world. Now, it was common uh, for, cities and, uh, uh, for cities like this for homes to be built right up against the wall. And it looks like here that Rahab had a window out of that wall facing outwards. Big enough for a man to fit through, but high enough off the ground that they needed ropes to get to the ground. And in verse 16, she gives them special directions to go, avoid the spies. You, they're going this way, you go this way, you hide out, and then you can uh, uh, run back. And in verse 17 to 20, the spies reaffirm their agreement with Rahab basically say three things to her. Number one, this agreement is confirmed, but you cannot tell anyone else. Number two, if anyone 
in, of her family leaves her house, then the spies and Israel will be innocent if they lose their lives in the ensuing battle. And number three, as long as she ties a scarlet rope to her window, then that will be a sign for Israel that she is to be saved. Now, that scarlet rope has drawn attention, quite a bit of attention over the years. Is there any kind of special significance behind it? See, some have tried to make a link with how the red rope reminds us of the red blood of Jesus and how when, we see, when God sees the red, when Israel sees the red, they will spare her and how God sees red, the blood of Jesus, he spares us. The problem with understanding that or the problem with interpreting it that way is that the New Testament doesn't interpret it that way. Uh, it's what we would call bad biblical theology, a, a bad application of that passage. Some have, others have made a link back to the Passover, how Israel painted their doors and windows red. But again, I actually think that's a bit of a stretch for one reason in particular. The window that they, she is to tie the rope to is on the wall of Jericho, on the walls of Jericho facing outward. You see it there mentioned in verse 18 at the end there. You shall tie this scarlet cord in the window, window through which you let us down. If the window is on the wall, and in chapter 6 those walls come crumbling down, that rope is going to be lost in the rubble. I personally think that the spies here are being a bit sneaky, hoping that nobody will notice the red rope hanging from the window. Now, to prove this point, I've been a little bit sneaky myself. Ivan, can you change the camera angle from there to there? Just for a second. No, as in, like, not facing it. Can you switch to that camera? Sorry. We switched? All right. So... I've been a bit sneaky, hello everyone from this angle, uh, because over there on that window is a tied a red rope. How many of you guys noticed that? None. And I, how many of you guys noticed that at home as you were singing? Okay, you can come back to this camera now. See, I think that the, I suspect that not many of us uh, did notice that red rope hanging there. And if you did notice that, you can message me later and, and, sh and tell me how sharp your eyes were. I actually think that the red rope in the window is a way for these dodgy spies to get around their dodgy agreement with her. Now, that said, they make the promise to save her, to protect her, and she ties the scarlet cord to the window. Now, in the final verses, we're going to point five. The spies hide from the soldiers and they make their escape. They go back to Joshua, they report back to him the great news in verse 24. Have a look again at verse 24. So while it's true, notice that it's also probably a little bit economical with the truth. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Also, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now, they are just repeating what Rahab has said, but you've got to wonder how the spies would have responded when Joshua asked how they received that information. And we don't get to hear of that conversation, but to Joshua's credit, I think we can work out that the spies confessed that what they really got up to. And so when you hit chapter 6, Joshua takes the lead. There's no more mention of the scarlet cord. Instead, Joshua points to those two spies and he says in chapter 6, verse 22, 
you guys go make sure that Rahab and her family are safe and protected. So by the grace of God, Rahab and her family are spared the destruction. And so we read in chapter 6, verse 25. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab stands as a wonderful testimony that no one is outside God's grace. No one is too far gone. Can you imagine all the things that Rahab went through in her life? What horrible events in her life dragged her into prostitution? As a prostitute, she would have been physically and sexually abused. The life itself was one of profound shame. The whispers and the gossips from the people around her, those in the marketplace and the streets, she led a life of shame. She would have been shamed and she must have felt deeply ashamed about her life. And yet, in spite of all of this, she heard about Yahweh and responded by faith. And in God's great mercy, she was included in with God's people, a convert to Yahweh worship. No one, no one is too far gone to receive God's mercy and grace. Rahab eventually settled down with a nice man named Salmon. They had a son together. His name was Boaz. Boaz himself would be a kind and generous man. He would marry a woman named Ruth, and they would have a son called Obed. Obed would be the father of Jesse, and Jesse would be the father of David, the king of Israel. From Rahab's faithful line, would come our great king himself, Jesus. See, God in his wonderful providence allowed Rahab to join Israel and included her in the line to the world's saviour. Praise God for that. Rahab feared Yahweh. She responded to him in faith. She sought refuge in him and was safe from the coming battle. Rahab's story is included here in Joshua 2 to show us what true and proper faith in Yahweh looks and acts like. And that's why in Hebrews 11 and James 2, she is pointed to as an example of faith in action. And so the writer of Hebrews says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down as they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And James, as was read by Jansen, writes, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, what did Rahab do? She acted in the present based on God's sure promises for the future. You could say that she acted today upon God's sure tomorrow. She acted today upon God's certain tomorrow. 
That is what faith is. It believes God, believes his word, and responds in action upon that belief. That is what makes her such an important character in this book, because she is the model example of what trusting God looks like. Israel has spent 40 years in the wilderness because they failed to trust God. Last week we were told, Joshua was told again and again, be strong and courageous, trust God as he leads you into the promised land. And here in chapter 2, we meet a pagan Gentile who is the embodiment of what trusting Yahweh looks like. For Rahab, that looked like forsaking her old gods, protecting the spies, and throwing her lot in with Israel and Yahweh. And because Yahweh is kind and merciful, he rescued her and saved her and included her to be a part of his covenant people. See, what Yahweh did for Rahab in Joshua 2 is magnified in what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Like Rahab, most of us were Gentiles, separated from God, strangers to the covenants and aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, outsiders, having no hope and without God in the world. Like Rahab, by the grace of God, we heard the wonderful deeds of God in saving his people. See, Rahab also knew that Yahweh was going to have certain victory over her people, so she responded to that impending judgment by throwing herself on God and jumping in with God's people. And today the good news is that Jesus has come. He has died on the cross to forgive us and to save us from the penalty of our sins. The good news is that Jesus is also alive. He is raised from the dead so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him and follow him as their king will have eternal life. And like Rahab, we have the responsibility to respond to this news. Rahab acted on what she knew of God, and that is what we must do as well. And this leads us to our so what. What do we do with this passage today? And it's very simple. It's a very simple so what. Act today based upon God's certain tomorrow. Friends, if you're at home today and if you're streaming in and you're not a Christian or if you're not sure that you're a Christian, you know, maybe you've heard the gospel, maybe you've heard bits and pieces but you haven't pulled it all together, or maybe you actually have been to church your whole life and, but there's something that you know that just hasn't clicked for you. Friends, if that's you, here's what you need to understand about faith. Faith is about knowing something and acting upon it. Faith is not blind. It, is, it acts on what is known. So what the Bible is asking for you today is to act. Jesus has come. He has died for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and have eternal joy-filled life with him. And Jesus is asking you to put your trust in that work. Maybe you've come to know about Jesus. Maybe you've even been convinced that Jesus was real, that he really died on the cross, and that he was really raised from the dead. Well, Rahab's example for you today is to show you that you've now got to do something with that. And that something looks like putting everything you have 
into the Jesus basket. Declaring that, yes, Jesus is king, and then to live with him as your loving and kind and merciful king. What you cannot do, when you read this passage, what you cannot walk away with and do, is to walk away from this passage and think, or continue under the false belief that you have all the time in this world to do that. That you have enough time before you die to do something about following Jesus. The time to respond to him is now. In the same way that Rahab knew that Israel was going to come through soon and smash them, God's judgment of this world today is going to come soon. That is guaranteed. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that he will return as judge. And none of us know how long we have. So please do not waste your time. Respond now. Speak with your Christian friend who you might be gathering with today. Drop myself a message or Pastor Ben a message. We'd love to catch up with you and explain to you and and help you put it all together. To my Christian friends watching this, this is something for you here as well. There is something for you here as well. The question I think this passage is raising for us is whether your faith actually is showing itself in action. Rahab came to believe that Yahweh was Lord of heaven and earth, that he was the true God and every other God was false. And she came to believe this and she acted upon it. Yeah, her lie to cover the spies is not perfectly pure, but as we read in James and Hebrews, they hold her out as a good example of faith in action. Especially in James. James makes the point that faith leads to good works. Rahab's faith led to faithful action. So if you say you have faith, if you say you believe Jesus, then it's going to show itself in faithful action. Faith is the root and good works are the fruit. A fruitless tree in God's kingdom is an impossibility. The question gets thrown back at us. What Faithful good works are we showing? What works demonstrate that our Christian faith is genuine and distinctive? Anyone can be a nice person, but as someone who follows Jesus, how is that coming out in your life? Is it, this is not just something that we merely say with our lips, but is it clear in how we live, what we live for, and who we live for? Are you living today? in the light of God's certain tomorrow. Let me pray and ask that God will give us wisdom to know how to do that. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this wondrous story in Joshua chapter 2 of the inclusion of this pagan Gentile who bowed her knee before you and who was so faithful that you providentially and kindly included her in the lineage of your King David and our King Jesus. We are related to Rahab and we share her faith. So we pray that like her, you would help us to respond to you rightly. Help us to not pause and stop at just ticking off the right beliefs about you in our head, 
but may they flow out in right, faithful action and response to you. Help us to live today rightly in the light of your certain tomorrow of which you are king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.